Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Jason Zelda here with video 10. In this video, we're going to be dealing with a very serious topic. I've been researching it for quite some time and uh, saving this one for last because there was information that I needed that I didn't have possession of until very recently in order to put this video together. Um, I want to thank all of you who've taken the time to watch the 19 videos that makes up the Hidden from Jehovah's Witness series. And I greatly appreciate it. For all of you who have been contacting me, I greatly appreciate all your comments and things of that nature. We're going to jump right into this because this is very important. I need to define some terms first of all because there are going to be some people who are going to be watching this video in law enforcement from around the world because of the subject matter. And I want to define these terms so that they'll understand what these terms mean when they hear them. So let's go ahead and deal with these terms and we're going to jump right into the mix as we're defining terms. The first term is governing body. Governing body. The term governing body in the Jehovah's Witness group is a group of men who run the religious portion of the Watchtower Corporation. The Watchtower Corporation, from what I understand, has four faces. It has a business face. With the business face, they're involved in things like stock market, hedge funds, and various other things like that. They go to big gatherings where multi-million dollar and multi-billion dollar businesses gather together and make up more ways of earning more money and things of that nature. A lot of things they're involved in that the members have no clue in this business side of the organization. They never tell their members about it, so they don't know about it. But in this video series, little by little, I've been presenting some of that to you some of these places where they go and all of a sudden their name appears on the list of people who are members of the group and it shocks people to see that this group is actually a part of these various different organizations so they have a business face they have a religious face with the religious face that's the Jehovah's Witness group with the religious side they print material without authority and the reason why I say it's material without authority is real simple. They can hand you a Watchtower magazine today, and you can see something in there and photocopy it. You can then go to a Jehovah's Witness five years down the road, ten years down the road, bring that exact photocopy of that page, and they'll refuse to read it. You try to hand them any literature, they'll refuse to read it. You see, it's their own literature but they refuse to read it because it doesn't have the authority. You see, what they were teaching back then, they might not be teaching now. So what's happened back then, they don't really care. All they care about what's happening right now. So they write literature that has no authority because it's what I call quote-unquote truth with a lowercase t that has an expiration date attached to it because they consider it as truth until their leaders come up with the next thing. And then they'll consider that as truth until the leaders come up with the next thing and then they'll consider that as truth but my King James Bible on the other hand it's been the same for over 400 years God's Word doesn't change so the religious side they print publish and distribute literature that doesn't have staying power you got the business side you have the religious side the third side is the real estate side. Again, the members don't know about this part of the group. They're not told about it. With the real estate part, they acquire a lot of property and they sell a lot of property and they make lots and lots of money in the process. 
That's how they do it. But there's a fourth side of the group. And this is the side that they try so hard to hide. And that is the criminal side of the Watchtower group. It's about time somebody shined some light on this. Because there are some things that have been going on for quite some time. I haven't seen anybody do any videos on this. So I'm going to get the ball rolling. This is the last video of the series. After this video is finished, I'm done with dealing with, you know, the background research and things on the Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm going to move on to something else. I'm hoping that this video series has helped a lot of people, though. But there is a criminal side to the Watchtower organization. And it's very important that you understand that. And we're going to uncover that in this video here today. So the governing body is a group of men who run the religious portion of the Watchtower Corporation. I've made a little 3D image here of how I see these guys. They're all dressed the same way. They have no faces because the faces don't matter. Governing body members are interchangeable parts. They can be there and they can be removed and they can be replaced with somebody else. One could die. They'll just be replaced with somebody else. One of them might actually get a conscience and say, you know what? I don't want to be a part of this anymore and leave. And they'll just replace them with somebody else or not replace them at all. The governing body are interchangeable parts. There are people who work their way up to close to governing body status or all the way to governing body status only to find out that when they got to the top, it wasn't all they thought it was going to be. And they left. Men like Bill Setnar. A lot of people know about Ray Franz. Not too many people know about Bill Setnar. So I recommend you look up Bill Setnar. I believe it's C-E-T-N-A-R. He has a wife named Joan. They have some audios that are still online. I'm not sure if they have any videos that are online. But they made it close to the top. Learned a lot of secrets of the group. And when they came out, they brought a lot of those secrets with them. So I recommend you guys check them out. If you like Ray Franz, I think you'll love Bill and Joan Setnar. Just check them out. So that's who the governing body is. The governing body is a group of men who demand absolute loyalty to them. If you are a Jehovah's Witness, a baptized Jehovah's Witness, these men demand absolute loyalty to them. Now they'll say it's loyalty to Jehovah. But when a person is in the Jehovah's Witness group, they begin to blend those terms together, Jehovah and the organization, Jehovah and the organization, Jehovah the organization, Jehovah's organization, Jehovah's organization, and it becomes Jehovah's organization. The one becomes the same. The one becomes the other. They feel the one can't function without the other. They believe that loyalty to God equals loyalty to these guys. That's what's written on the board on that 3D image that I made for you. They believe that loyalty to these men equal loyalty to God, or as they say, to Jehovah. That's how the group works. The leadership of this group goes by a whole bunch of different names. Here's some of the names that they go by. They're called the Anointed Brothers, the Organization, the Branch, God's Organization, Jehovah's Organization, God's Channel of Communication, the Slave, Jehovah's Channel, Headquarters, the Guardians of the Doctrine, that's a name that they gave themselves at the Australian Royal Commission on Child Sexual Abuse. They call themselves the Guardians of the Doctrine. They're called the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society of New York. They're called the Society. They're called the Faithful and Discreet Slave. 
all of these titles for these guys. All of these titles. You'll notice that I made the heads of these 3D images rather large. And the reason why is because these men actually see themselves as larger than life while they pretend to be faithful and discreet. This is from their December 15, 1971 watchtower. We're going to put it on the screen for you. They made a chart of what they call the modern day theocratic organization of Jehovah's Christian Witnesses. So this is their chart of what they say is God's hierarchy, how he runs things. Now, in Christianity, we have what is commonly called the Trinity. My King James Bible uses the word Godhead. Okay, uses Godhead. But more, people are more familiar with the term Trinity. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit make up the one God. Just like you have one body and the body, one body has several parts, you have one God, three beings that make up the one God. Now, the way they have their organization set up according to this chart that I have that I'm going to put on the screen for you. They have Jehovah God at the top with lines beaming out of it. So they have the Father at the top, because they say Jehovah is the Father only. Underneath him, they have Jesus Christ, where it says, Head of the Christian Congregation. Now, does anybody notice what's missing? The Holy Spirit's been taken out. It's supposed to be Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, right? But the Holy Spirit has been removed in their chart and has been replaced by what it says, the faithful and discreet slave class whom Jesus has appointed over all his belongings, the governing body. So they have removed the Holy Spirit and placed themselves in his place. If you think that's a fluke, I understand that when Jehovah's Witnesses are baptized, they're baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the I believe the term is spirit-led organization. Remember, organization is one of the names for the governing body. So the Holy Spirit just sort of gets pushed off to the side, and the governing body steps in in that place. And that's a very awkward position to try to put yourselves in. But that's who the guys see themselves as. They see themselves as larger than life while they pretend to be you know, these faithful and discreet, humble men. They're at the top. The next word is elders, because if you have a handful of guys and you have, they're claiming 8 million members of their group, then you're going to need some people to enforce your rules. The enforcers are the elders. These elders make sure that everybody conforms to the teachings that are handed down. If you don't conform, you're going to be punished one way or another by these elders. These elders are given secret books. They're given secret manuals. They're taken to secret meetings. They receive secret letters. These letters and books and things, they're told you're not to even tell your wife about it. Now, we're going to see whether or not these rules are upheld. I'm going to show you a quick video. Happened recently from the time I'm making this video. This gentleman walks up to a couple of ladies, a couple of Jehovah's Witness ladies, and begin to talk to them. They discover that the main lady who's doing the talking is actually an elder's wife. He's going to ask her, Are you familiar with the elder's secret book, Shepherd the Flock of God? Now that book has been out for, I'm thinking, over seven years now. I want you to listen to her answer and listen very closely to what she says. This is an elder's wife. Let's see what she had to say concerning the Shepherd, the Flock of God book. 
it's disturbing. It is. I mean, are you familiar with the Shepherd the Flock book? No. Um, well, it's it's a book that belongs to the elders, and it has policies and stuff in there. So within that book, it talks about um, the fact that you you know if a if a accusation is brought towards somebody, that that person doing the accusing has to have two witnesses, and they point to the scripture that says you know every matter must be settled having two witnesses, blah blah blah. So the problem that the Australian Royal Commission um, pointed out. To, to the watchtower is that because of that policy a lot of uh, potential child pedophiles go free but that's not correct because it's the, not no that is not correct because when it comes to child abuse cases that we don't that is not applied oh it doesn't apply no. for child and that, abuse that cases my, my husband is an elder so i know the, he's an elder and yeah. you don't know about the shepherd but no book. because it doesn't it, <laughs> i don't think that book exists Oh, you don't think it exists? No, no. There's no, they don't have special books for the elders and so on. I know what they have. But there's a lot of people who are against us too. So yeah. they, they write things, apostasy. We know that. So, I mean, my dad was an elder and I used yeah. to see his book in his book bag. Yeah, but and uh, he would tell me as a kid, don't, don't, you know, that's not for you. <laughs> well, they, they do have letters and things that are probably for, you know, yeah. It's not for everyone, but they don't have special books. But I know the thing about two witnesses when things happen, you know, when people talk and so on. But when it comes to those cases, we have special letters read to us that that's reported to the police. We don't even we don't even go to the elders for those things. If there's a, uh, if there's a child abuse, we go straight to the police. Go straight to the yeah. police. Is that something new? No. It's always been that way. Yeah, it's been that way. Well, we, the, we have had we have had letters probably within the last twenty years being read up. Yeah. But in the commission, because you know the commission in Australia, it was all videotaped and everything. And Jeffrey Jackson, your governing body, uh, testified on there. So it's interesting. I think you should see it because within that commission, they they had a copy of the Shepherd the Flock book. So it's a real book, <laughs> and they use it in testimony. Um, and Jeffrey Jackson didn't dispute it. He acknowledged that, yeah, it's, it's one of their books that contains policy from the Watchtower. And there's also another secret book that you probably don't know about. And, it, and it's one for uh, child... Um, uh, what do you call that? When child custody cases. So that's a book that if you get a divorce from your husband and you, there's a you know, battle for the kids, the society actually have a booklet that deals with how to take it through the court system. Did you know that? <laughs> I don't believe it. It's amazing. It. Yeah, I know you don't believe it, but it's it's true. Well, I, I will I will admit I will ask some questions, but I don't <laughs> I don't think that's true. Isn't that interesting? She denies it even exists. The gentleman also talked about this book here. The Jehovah's Witnesses secret child custody book that I mentioned a couple of videos ago. She claimed this doesn't exist either. You're looking at it. You can see me talking about it in my other video, Hidden from Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, video 9D, The Watchtower's Other Secret Book. This is an elder's wife who's kept completely in the dark, yet she believes she's informed. One thing that I've learned within this group 
is that women are very, very mistreated. They are very mistreated within the Jehovah's Witness group. And it bothers me to no end because you're going to see the extent that it goes to with this video here. I'm going to do my best to just bring all this out in the open because I think something needs to be done. Something really needs to be done. This here is the Watchtower, June 1st, 1997. Again, I mentioned this in the last couple of videos. I'm going to mention it again, hoping that it will drive the point home. This is the Watchtower, June 1st, 1997, page 6. It says, their book, Jehovah's Witnesses, Proclaimers of God's Kingdom, correctly notes Jehovah's Witnesses are in no sense a secret society. It is a secret society. They deny that they are. But this whole video series would not have been possible if they were not a secret society because all of their information would have been made public. But they hide a lot of their information. As you saw that elder's wife completely in the dark, completely in the dark about what's happening in her own religion. Yet she swears she's informed. It says here, true religion in no way practices secretiveness. Worshippers of the true God have been instructed not to hide their identity or to obscure their purposes as Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, we're going to see about that. If true religion doesn't practice secretiveness, then what is the Elder's Handbook? This is the August 23rd, 2010 Elder's Letter. We'll put it on the screen for you. We're going to read the uh, fourth paragraph down. It says, we would like to emphasize the importance of keeping these new books secure and confidential, both before and after they are distributed. The textbooks should not be left on top of desks or in other places where they are easily accessible by family members or other individuals. The information is designed for use by the elders only, and elders only is in bold letters. Other individuals should not have any opportunity to read the information. August 23rd, 2010, to all body of elders letter from the governing body, telling them to keep their secret book, Shepherd the Flock of God, completely secret. Yet, they say true religion doesn't practice secretiveness. October 7th, a few months later, some of the elders had written asking, is it okay to spiral bind a book? Now I want you to think about this. Remember what I just told you about the governing body. They demand absolute loyalty to them. They demand it. So these elders, when they got their book, they couldn't just go and spiral bind it. No, no. You got to get permission from the guys up top before you can do something as simple as spiral binding a book. That's how much control these governing body members have over the members. If you don't understand that, you're not going to understand the motivator behind Jehovah's Witnesses. This is a group that functions out of fear. That's how it works. That's how it operates. October 7th, 2010, another letter sent from the governing body. The elders had written asking, can we spiral bind these books, please? Can we please spiral bind the books? I kind of wonder, if they spiral bind the books without asking permission, what kind of punishment would they get? What is the punishment for spiral binding a book without permission? 
Nonetheless, the leadership writes back, and I want you to listen very closely. Remember I told you how women are mistreated within this group. The leadership does not trust the women, and the women don't understand that. Hopefully their eyes will come open with a video like this, because when they see what they've been doing with the women, hopefully their eyes will come open and go, wait a minute, I didn't know that was going on. Let's see what it says here. It says, Dear Brothers, since the release of the new shepherding textbook, several elders have asked about the possibility of having their textbook spiral bound. There is no objection if any elder personally spiral binds or laminates his own textbook or does so for others. If he has another baptized brother who is not an elder do the work for him, the elder must watch while the work is being done. Outside companies, unbelievers, and sisters are not permitted to do this work. They labeled the sisters next to unbelievers. Outside companies, unbelievers, or sisters are not permitted to do this work. The material in this book is confidential and confidentiality must be preserved. A secret book from a religion that says true religion doesn't practice secretiveness. And again, the ladies get slapped down. You see, there's no women in the governing body. It's 2017. No women in the governing body. No women elders. No women overseers. The women don't get positions of power. We're going to see what's going on, guys. We're going to see what's going on. The next word is Judicial Committee. Before we get to that, there's another video. This is a speech from the leadership, one of the governing body members. If you don't believe what I'm telling you when I tell you that the leadership degrades the women. If I was to ask you, if you're a lady and you're watching this, if I was to ask you, what is your purpose as a woman? What would your answer be? I'm certain that your answers are going to be far different than what you're about to hear. I'm going to play for you what the governing body member of Jehovah's Witnesses said concerning what the purposes of a woman is. Ready? Here's the audio. Because upon the creation of Eve, man became a kind. Thus we have man kind. Because woman is a kind of man. You know, there's three reasons why you're here. You know what they are? That is women. Number one is to serve God. And of course, that's why we're here too, to serve God. That's foremost. But now the second reason why you are here, women, is to feel the need of me. And the third reason why you're here is to give the man of your choosing, these are the three reasons why you live and why you exist. And women are well equipped for this role. You know your desire from childhood 
get usually to Mary, and please your husband. Think back to the time when you were just a little girl. What did you enjoy playing with the most? What did you want to play the most? I can still remember my sister saying, let's play house. <laughs> Always. It could be raining, it could be doing anything, let's play house. Now we may have wanted to go play cowboys and Indians, but the girls invariably want to play house. So it's nothing out of harmony. It's good that you have such desires, even when you're young. You see, every woman has what it takes to please a man. Some fail to use what they have properly, causing much unhappiness and sorrow. You know, scientists say that the cranial capacity of a woman is 10% smaller than that of a man. So now this shows that she's just not equipped for the role of headship. Her role is one of subjection to the man. Her role is that of submissiveness. And that means that she should recognize that she is a woman and be glad to be a But now what does it mean to love your husband? Now we know that all you sisters present this evening love your husband. Or at least you want to love your husband. But now what does it mean to love your husband? Well, you should cooperate with him. That's what it means. You should cooperate but never compete. You would recognize if you truly love your husband that you're not equipped mentally, emotionally, and physically or somatically for the role of the patient. Is your blood boiling yet? They don't trust the women, but they'll use the women, but they don't trust them. Not even to spiral bind a book. The next word is judicial committee. Now you want to talk about women in a judicial committee. A judicial committee is the Jehovah's Witness court system, but don't confuse it with your normal court. It's not like a normal court. In a normal court, you have your evidence, your opponent has their evidence, they take the evidence, they present it to the judge, and the judge weighs the evidence to see who's telling the truth. That's not how the Jehovah's Witness court system works. If you're pulled into the back room, in the judicial committee, there's usually three guys sitting there. Sometimes there's more than three, but there's usually three guys sitting there. And these guys are going to sit there as your judge, jury, and executioner. And usually, if they're pulling you into the back room for a judicial committee, they've already determined that they're going to punish you in one way or another. Whether it be a public reprimand or whether it be kicking you out of the group. If you're getting pulled into the back room... They've already decided what they're going to do. It doesn't matter how much evidence you bring to prove that you are innocent. It doesn't matter. If they're pulling you in that back room, more than likely, they've already determined, as far as they're concerned, you've broken the rules, or as one elder said, the customs of the Jehovah's Witnesses, and you're going to have to be punished for it in some way, shape, manner, or form. Now, what about the women? Remember, there's no, no women in the Judicial Committee. So what happens when a woman is pulled into the back room? I'm going to give you a few stories of women who were pulled into the back room. And it would be one thing for me to sit here and tell you what these elders did to these women. But I think it's more powerful if you heard the women 
themselves. So ladies, I'm going to give you the floor and let the world know what these elders did. You see, these things happen behind the closed doors. And when the elders do their dirt, if things don't go the way they want them to go, they'll just kick the woman out of the group. And when someone's kicked out of the group, nobody else is allowed to speak to them anymore. So they can't go to another member of the group and say, hey, you won't believe what happened to me back there. Because that person from the group, the moment they see them coming, if they realize that person's been kicked out of the group, that Jehovah is going to turn around the other way and leave. They're not going to speak to them. I want you to hear firsthand what these people had to say, these ladies, about what happened to them in this so-called judicial committee hearing. Behavior. Wendy, too, had to describe her rape in agonizing detail to a specially convened meeting of elders held in her own living room. So I had three very elderly men whom I'd never met come into my home and they all, three of them were making notes like this and I then had to recount it again to them and they wanted to know every little detail. Um, I'm not sure if you want to broadcast this, but they uh, were very interested in how far apart my legs were. And I had to demonstrate. So it was excruciating. They asked me that if he was touching me and did I see his manhood and all sorts of things. And they said to me, don't be embarrassed. Nothing you can tell us will shock us. Nothing. And what happened as a result of that? As a result of that, they then went to Mark and interviewed Mark and his wife. Same, same procedure. And then they had a meeting and then they brought us together at the Kingdom Hall of Barry. And what happened there? We were interviewed. We were not allowed to speak to each other. I had to go through it again in front of Mark and his wife. And then I had to sit and listen to him giving a completely different account. This approach to bring together the abuser and the abused to confront one another in a so-called judicial committee held by the elders is totally at odds with current thinking about sexual abuse. Despite its title, this is, in essence, a church committee of untrained men. Yet it's elevated to the status of a court by the Jehovah's Witnesses and can decide whether a crime such as rape or child abuse has taken place and how the perpetrator should be dealt with. Wendy again. After that judicial committee, I was quite traumatised emotionally, very depressed, very anxious. So me and my ex went to Portugal for a week's respite. And when we came back, that same committee called to see us and said, it's your word against his, there is nothing we can do. When I challenged them and said there are actually two witnesses because Karen has given you the same experience, albeit slightly different, it's still abuse, I was told quite categorically that the, the two could not be linked because she was a minor and I was an adult. So it didn't matter that it was the same pattern of behaviour by the same man? No. Not to them. 
Jehovah's Witnesses have been accused of failing the victims of child sex abuse after a case in Manchester where a man who was convicted of sexual assault was allowed to cross-examine his victims. The Charity Commission, which regulates the religious group, said the questioning was inappropriate and demeaning. One victim described the meeting as worse than the court case. An audio recording of the meeting has been passed to our social affairs correspondent, Michael Buchanan. This is New Moston Kingdom Hall in Manchester, where Jonathan Rose spent years as a senior member. In 2013, he was imprisoned for nine months after being convicted of the historical sexual abuse of young girls. Jehovah's Witnesses went to expel him, but Rose appealed, which led to an extraordinary gathering. A meeting was called between eight male elders, a convicted paedophile and his female victims. Over the course of an evening, the women had to recount what had happened to them, while he, Jonathan Rose, got to interrogate them. Each woman was questioned separately. One secretly recorded her grilling by Jonathan Rose. What I'm saying to you is this didn't happen. Give me one reason, one reason please why I would have done it to you. I had no reason to touch you, we were friends. At one point, another man in the room asked the woman, if she'd egged Rose on, and no one prevented him from discussing graphic details. What was I supposed to have done to you that night? Please explain to me. Not to be perverted, was I, what, did I touch you down below? Did I touch your breasts? One victim said she didn't even know Rose was going to be at the Kingdom Hall. She went in the belief the congregation were going to apologise to her with protected identity. He kept making out I was lying. He kept saying, why did I make it up? Why would I say something like that? And at no point did I feel like he was going to admit it. So as soon as I knew he wasn't going to admit it, there was no remorse, no sorry. That's when I felt like I'd had enough. I just got to the point where I thought, he genuinely believes he hasn't done anything wrong. Her mother, who supported her, was appalled by what unfolded. I felt guilty because I should have been protecting her. It shouldn't have been allowed. That meeting should not have been allowed, ever. Jehovah's Witnesses say this evening that they've robust child protection policies and put appropriate restrictions on anyone found guilty of sexual abuse. Today's report, however, said their actions in Manchester failed the women. It has to be dealt with in a way that is sensitive to the victims who have gone through this terrible ordeal, but also in a way uh, that the public would expect this to be dealt with and in this case they let the victims down. Though Jonathan Rose was expelled from the Kingdom Hall, the meeting here should clearly not have happened and the Charity Commission have wider concerns about how Jehovah's Witnesses handle sex abuse allegations and are carrying out a broader inquiry. Michael Buchanan, BBC News. It was good. I liked it. I practiced at home. We had a piano at home. I loved it. It was truly my passion. He was my piano teacher. A talented man who was well known in our religion. An elder. A family man. A role model. What was he doing? But in fact, Week after week, at each piano lesson I had with this man, he masturbated in front of me. 
He also asked me to touch him. You would get out of your piano lesson, and your dad was there waiting. I couldn't look him in the eye. Melanie was 10 years old. Her weekly nightmare lasted five years. In her teens, she quits piano and starts dating a boy, which is very much frowned upon by Jehovah's Witnesses. Melanie is reported. She's summoned to a judicial committee, the church's internal court. Her punishment? A public rebuke in front of the faithful. Who was behind the punishment? It was my piano teacher. It was my abuser. So it was your abuser who was judging you for your behavior with boys? Yes, exactly. Pathetic. I can still see him, to my left, with his accusing eyes. I can see him and yes, at that moment I would have liked to yell it out to the room. What stopped you? Forget it. What I would have said, my testimony would have been brushed aside, that's for sure. Benoit is Melanie's father. He was the one waiting for his daughter's lesson to end while her piano teacher was allegedly assaulting her in the next room. I would never have imagined in my worst nightmare that such a thing could have happened. Impossible. It takes some nerve to do that to a child when you know her dad is just on the other side of the door, just in the next room. It takes a lot of nerve. Had I seen it, it would have ended badly. Melanie keeps her secret for nearly 20 years, until she meets a second alleged victim, a meeting that convinces both women to come forward. The piano teacher is called before two judicial committees. Melanie arrives at hers with her father and her husband. We stopped at the side of the road before arriving, and I told my husband, I won't be able to do it. Take me back home. It's impossible. I will die. I thought it would be difficult, but it wasn't difficult. It was catastrophe. A catastrophe, because Melanie is forced to tell all, in front of her alleged abuser. It's a core rule among Jehovah's Witnesses, drawn from an interpretation of Bible verse. If I hadn't agreed to confront him, my testimony would have been worthless, so, of course, I was the only woman there, sitting in my little chair. And I had my abuser very close to me, at the table. He asked me questions, he asked me. You've got it wrong, it wasn't me that this happened. It's impossible, your memories are wrong. Why do you want to do this to me? So that evening I was re-victimized by that man. Right after the committee, I went to the bathroom. And I really didn't feel well, severe headache, dizziness. I even lost consciousness. When I saw my daughter on the floor, it was like he had hit her. It was he who made her crash to the ground. I went crazy. I lost it. I was escorted from the hall. I was hitting the walls. I can't believe they can't find a way to respect biblical principles and at the same time do it with more love and compassion towards the victims who are traumatized.
After the testimony of the two victims, the piano teacher is expelled from the Jehovah's Witnesses. He then appeals the decision. Melanie has to repeat the process two more times before the excommunication is upheld. But it doesn't last long. Now, there are some of you out there who wonder, if all these things are going on, how can you haven't heard more about it? Well, it's real simple. When some of these women sue, the Watchtower knows they're not going to win. There's so much evidence against the Watchtower worldwide about child sexual abuse, child molestation, incest, all kinds of various different things. They know if they go into court, there's so much evidence against them, they don't really stand a chance. So what they'll tend to do is they'll go into court and they'll just choose to settle. Now, I want you to put yourself in this position. You've been sexually abused inside the group. You're suing them. In the courtroom, they say, okay, we're going, we want to settle. We don't want, to, we don't want this to go through the court because they don't want this stuff to get out in the public. The leadership is very, very interested in their squeaky clean reputation. But that squeaky clean reputation comes at a price. And the price is the safety of the Jehovah's Witness member. Your life on the line. Your health on the line. But they don't care. They're concerned about their reputation because with their clean, squeaky clean reputation, they're able to rub elbows with these multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar companies. They're able to do things, go places and be invited to places that they would not be invited to if people really knew what was going on. The reason why you don't hear a lot about it is because when they choose to settle these cases in court, the person who sues them usually ends up getting millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. But they have to sign something called a gag order before they'll get the money. The gag order, you can look it up online. You're not allowed to talk about the case. You got to keep the lip zipped. You're signing a contract saying, I will accept this money in exchange for not talking about what happened. Now, let's just be honest, guys. All of you who have YouTube pages against the cults. What if a representative of the cults came to you and said, we'll give you a million dollars to take your website down. But you got to sign this contract that from this day forward, you won't say anything publicly negative about us. A million dollars in your bank account. But you can't say anything negative about the group anymore. If you do, you signed a contract saying you wouldn't do it. So if you do end up speaking negatively about them after they've given you the money, now they can turn around and sue you for three, four, five million and bankrupt you. Now, how many people do you know would take the million dollars, two million dollars, five million dollars, ten million dollars just to keep their mouth shut? 
That's why you're not hearing so much about it publicly, guys. Roll the video. Well, victims of this kind of abuse say it is the worst kind. People of faith preying on people who pray. The group Silent Lambs was in Nashville today showing their support for people who say they've been abused by Jehovah's Witnesses and others. Recently, lawsuits were settled in some cases, but not to the satisfaction of Silent Lambs. Channel 4's Cynthia Williams is live now at Kingdom Hall in West Nashville with the story. Cynthia? Well, there are about six Kingdom Halls in the Nashville area, including the one here in West Nashville that's over my shoulder. And today, Silent Lambs attached this bulletin to the door of each one. At least, that attempt was made. So, uh, recently, 16 lawsuits were settled. Who called you? Silent Lambs met with vocal resistance today at a Kingdom Hall in Woodbine. You haven't been invited on the property. For six years now, the Kentucky-based organization has offered support for people alleging abuse within the Jehovah's Witnesses' faith. In March, settlements were reached in more than a dozen molestation cases, agreements that came with gag orders attached. We find this bittersweet. On one hand, we're glad a few victims were finally getting some financial help, but on the other hand, we're sad and worried because they've essentially they've been forced to give up their right. Bill Bowen is a former Jehovah's Witness and founder of Silent Lambs. He was surrounded by abuse victims today from various faiths. When I was around eight years old, I was molested by a teenager who was a member of my church, Christian Gospel Temple. There are thousands of us out there and thousands of children that need our help right now. My parents nor anyone else ever knew that I was abused by an elder. According to Silent Lambs, the Jehovah's Witnesses' policies encourage abuse by not reporting allegations to police, choosing instead to handle individual cases internally. Today, a stuffed lamb was placed on the doors of area kingdom halls, telling victims they need be silent no more. And victims groups say that they are critical of these gag orders because they tend to keep the identity of the predator secret while re-victimizing the victim. Live in West Nashville, I'm Cynthia Williams, Channel 4 News. The Jehovah's Witnesses headquarters in Brooklyn was supposed to send a faxed response today, but as of news time, we had not received anything. That's why you're not hearing about it. They're settling out of court. Millions and millions of dollars. Remember, the Jehovah's governing body member comes on JW Network talking about there's more money going out than coming in. Mm-hmm. Sure is. And there's going to be more money going out too, Watchtower. A lot more. Because there's going to be a lot more people suing. A lot more. The next word is disfellowshipping and shunning. And we're going to toss in apostate as well. The elders in these judicial committees are given the power to kick you out of the group. When you're kicked out of the group, they call that disfellowshipped. If you're disfellowshipped, no member of the group is allowed to speak to you anymore. That includes your family. Now, that's a very rough thing because disfellowshipping is a toxic pill. Because when you're in the group, they discourage you from having friends outside the group. So you don't make many friends outside the group. They're classified as worldly. So you make all your friends inside the group. But once you're disfellowshipped, now the people inside the group won't speak to you no more. They don't speak to you anymore. So now you have no friends outside the group. And your so-called friends that were in the group, they don't speak to you anymore either. And you feel like you're completely lost. 
and abandoned and alone and isolated. And this has led many people to commit suicide. And do you think the governing body cares? No. Are they going to go to the funeral of somebody that got disfellowshipped? No. And are they going to allow a member of the group to go to that person's funeral if they've been disfellowshipped? No. They don't care about you once you're kicked out. They don't care about you anymore. So you got disfellowshipping. You got the shunning. That shunning is really toxic. This shunning doctrine is taught to all the members, the young and the old. The leaders themselves actively encourage the members to shun their own family. I'm going to play for you an audio of one of the Jehovah Witness governing body members, these men that demand loyalty to them. I'm going to play for you an audio of him in Italy encouraging Jehovah's Witnesses to shun their own family if the family member leaves the group. And I want you to pay close attention to how many times he uses the word loyal and loyalty. Because they equate loyalty to God as loyalty to the governing body. Listen closely to this audio. And I'm also going to back it up with a couple of more audios on this issue of shunning. I want people to fully grasp, for those of you who are new, to fully grasp the pain that shunning causes to people. People should have the freedom to be able to leave a religious group without being punished like this. And I'm trying to warn people beforehand so they don't end up joining this group so you don't get entangled in the first place. But I want people to see the pain that this kind of thing causes. Because when you go into court, the Jehovah's Witness attorneys and the Jehovah's Witnesses will tell that judge that they don't shun. If it's a good thing and a holy thing and a righteous thing, why don't they stand up boldly and say, that's right, we shun and we do it for Jehovah. They don't. They go into court and they lie about it. If it's a good thing, why do you got to lie about it? So I want you to listen to the video. Listen to the audio. Of the Jehovah and his governing body member encouraging people to shun their own family. I want you to hear from some people who are being shunned and the pain that it's causing them. One person is not even going to show her face because she's concerned that if they show her face, her family is going to find out that she's left the group and they're going to shun her. And then the most heartbreaking of all, many of you have seen this. A little 10 year old girl is brought out onto the stage as an example of shunning. And I want you to hear what the girl said. It's a lot of echo in the room that they're in. So I took the time out to type out what's being said so that you can take in what this 10-year-old says about shunning the indoctrination that they did on her 
to make her do this to her own family member. Take a look at this video series. Spiritual families accept what Jesus said here. This is something that you need to think seriously about here in Italy and the, the field under this branch committee's oversight. Matthew chapter 10. We're going to read 32 through 38. Now keep your Bibles open here and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll come back here. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to read verse 11. Did you notice, carefully notice, the Bible does not say don't keep company with anyone unless it's one of your close relatives. It does not say, well, this is my daughter. This is my son that was disfellowshipped. It doesn't say, well, you don't understand, this is my mother that was disfellowshipped. My father was disfellowshipped. The Bible says anyone. Now go back to Matthew chapter 10, please. See, we just read these verses. We've experienced it, my wife and I, with family that's disfellowship. Governing body members have experienced it. We understand it's a sword. We also accepted our torture stake. We want to be worthy of Jesus. I'm not going to let Jesus say you have greater affection for her or him than me. It's wrong. And I know one experience a good friend of mine told me about. Very close family, just like families can be here in Italy. And so this brother's fleshly brother is disfellowshipped. So the sore came into that family when he was disfellowshipped. And remember, they did the wrong. The organization didn't do anything wrong. You knew when you became a witness you don't live right, you're going to get disfellowshipped. We don't have closed doors at Kingdom Halls, ropes to tie people into seats. We do this because we volunteered to become Jehovah's people. So this large family has the disfellowship relative, and every year they had a great big family get-together. Sad to say, the disfellowship relative was invited every year. And the brother... The loyal brother would not go to that family get-together. Never went for 20 years. So finally, he comes to his senses and he's reinstated. So now that he's reinstated and the family has the gathering, our brother went to the gathering. And the reinstated family member said to every one of them all there in attendance, the only one that was loyal to Jehovah was my brother. The rest of you were disloyal. I hope they repented. That's disloyal. So a lot to think about there. Jehovah has affection for those that are loyal to him. Jesus has affection for those that accept the torture state. If you haven't been loyal to the disfellowshipping decree, let that disfellowship one know you're going to change from today on and be loyal to Jehovah God. The best chance they have of getting back in the organization is by your good example of loyalty. 
Tonight, a rare and revealing look inside a religion that might well have come knocking on your front door. Over the next hour, we'll take you inside the Jehovah's Witnesses from three people who have left. I'm not free. I have to hide today. It's just torture. It's just torture. Do you think you'll ever be free from this? I don't know. I'm trying. We'll call her Alice. Her face is hidden, her voice altered. She's what's known as faded. She no longer believes, but hasn't officially left the religion. Keith was disfellowed or kicked out nine years ago. The comparison between Jehovah's Witnesses and the way they operate and the North Korean regime, are it's very similar, whereby you are directed, you are controlled. Derek quit, or as it's described in the religion, disassociated four years ago. There's a lot more to the story than they want to admit, and people need to know it. Three ex-witnesses describe the rules and beliefs of a religion that claims to have a worldwide membership of more than 8 million people. The overall tenet is that they are the one specific chosen religion, and after a designated period of time, uh, Jehovah will destroy all of wicked mankind and then only faithful witnesses will be allowed to either live through that tribulation or to be resurrected from the dead into that new world. The Spirit of God is stronger than any imperfection that you have. I was pretty much raised from birth in the religion. My brain's been wired that way to think that that's, it's coming. Like I, when I was younger, I didn't even think I'd make it past high school or into my 20s and even into my 30s. That wasn't even a thought. No birthdays, no holidays, um, just the constant fear that if you don't do what's right, um, you're going to die and Armageddon can come any day and the family you love that aren't witnesses, they're going to die and you just have this constant sadness. I had acquaintances at school but could never have friends and have them over. You have to maintain a very strict dress code. Blood transfusions are banned. So too is military service, saluting a flag or singing a national anthem. Active members are required to do this, spread the word of the Jehovah's Witness in public places and file monthly field reports. That's why they don't encourage college education and full-time jobs so that you can go distribute their material. Did you do that as well? I hated it. I always hoped that nobody would answer. I hated pushing people. It was something you had to do. All around the world, people come together every week at places of worship called Kingdom Halls. JWs gather at Kingdom Halls. Have you ever wondered what happens inside a Kingdom Hall of Jehovah's Witnesses? And these ex-members say they were taught from childhood to snitch on their friends who broke the rules. Stuff like smoking, drinking, or associating with uh, people who are considered worldly or not part of the organization. With the powerful help of the angels, we can save ones out of that evil world empire. Judicial committees decide the punishment, anything from a public rebuke to being kicked out of the religion. And yet Alice says those same committees have a rule that puts children at risk. The two witness rule cannot be changed. So if a child gets abused and there isn't a witness, then that means that they leave it in God's hands. For them, it's a sin. It's not a crime. 
In 2015, Australia held a royal commission into child sexual abuse in the Jehovah's Witnesses. They criticized that two-witness rule and concluded that the organization doesn't respond adequately to abuse. Coming up, shunning the high cost of leaving the religion. This is me. That's something slipped that wasn't. I'll be disfellowshipped in a heartbeat and labeled as an apostate, which is even worse. Because the apostates, that's like the top sin that you can do. Alice no longer believes what the Jehovah's Witnesses are preaching. She's considered faded, but won't outright quit. I'm afraid of the repercussions with my family, not only for me, but for them. I don't want to put them in the position not to be able to talk to me. Derek resigned from the religion four years ago. I was just depressed 24-7, um, suicidal at many points in my life, especially like as a teen and uh, just couldn't take it anymore because pretty much you're always living with the end of the world is just around the corner and you're either going to make it or you're not. The consequences of disassociating or quitting the church have been swift. When you decide that you want to leave or if you get kicked out, um, everybody has to shun you. Keith was kicked out of the Jehovah's Witness Church nine years ago. Do you miss your, your mom and your dad and your family? Absolutely. I miss them terribly. I love them with all my heart. And if they were to reach out, I would, without hesitation, respond and reestablish that relationship. But they can't? As long as they are members of the Jehovah's Witnesses, they are forbidden from doing so. When your mom and your dad pass on, will you be able to go to the funeral? You are allowed to attend, but you are not allowed to interact with anyone there. 32-year-old Derek just got engaged. When you get married, will you invite your mom and your sister? Yeah, I already did, and uh, they're not coming. Probably the next time I see them will be at a funeral. When they shun, they're trying to save you. Their intentions, most of those people are amazing people and their intentions are good. They're just trying to stay alive. Alice, Kevin and Derek have all found solace and support here at a Reddit forum for XJWs and those thinking about leaving. I want to make sure that people know that there are people out there who have been through that and for anybody who's considering leaving, that there are those willing to support them and help them through that transition. The people on the forum who are more afraid are people who haven't officially left. Alice was at first scared to even click on the site. I didn't dare look. You didn't dare go online? No, either. no. And it was hard for me the first times that I did. I would get like my heart would be just going online. Yeah. yeah, I felt like I was doing something really bad and really scary and dangerous. The online support is helping each cope with their new world outside the organization. I kind of view my family that's still in as victims, I guess, of it. Um, like, my life has been way better since I've left. Yet even now, the years of fearing a looming Armageddon are hard to shake. I have, I have nightmares. I have nightmares where I'm at night and there's this gigantic wave covering all of us and we're all about to die and it's Armageddon. I still have them now. 
So you have heard the experiences of just three people who have left the religion. Uh, we did want to talk to those who still belong for balance to this story. The organization's media spokesman declined, though, uh, saying that such stories are often designed to be adversarial. We respect each person's freedom of choice and belief and do not wish to engage in needless debates. Well, we have a couple of sisters that we want to interview. Uh, first, we have Sister Melody Thomas. She's from the Knoxville Northwest Congregation. Melody is 10 years old, and she was baptized late last year in November. So I have a couple of questions for you, Melody. Uh, first of all, what specific fear has at times challenged you in your service to children? Well, a specific fear deals with one of my sisters who is disfellowshipped, and she contacted me before my baptism and was encouraging me to keep in contact with her. And even though I do miss her and love her, I know that if I didn't maintain contact with her, it would be difficult to stop communicating with her if I started. Okay, well thank you for sharing that. Now, Melody, how has Jehovah helped you overcome that fear? Well, Jehovah has helped me cope in many ways. Um, he gave me the courage to stand up to her and tell her that I couldn't communicate with her at all because I didn't want to hurt my relationship with Jehovah. And he also helped me with so much sorrow and loneliness and missing her. So growing my relationship with Jehovah through prayer and study has really helped with this and all my fears. Okay, thank you for sharing that, Melody. absolutely depressing, isn't it? Disgusting. That a 10-year-old would be taught to shun your own sister, to try to force her into returning to a religion she doesn't want to be in. This is evil. But it gets worse. You see, they brought out a little girl. They had the girl due to shunning speech. They always want to degrade the women, to use the women, to do the dirty work. And it ticks me off. When you see people going door to door, it's usually who? Women. It's usually the women. They dedicate themselves to that group because they really think they're being told the truth and they don't realize that they're being lied to. And they put their heart and soul into this thing. And they get used. And I am so fed up with it. Next word is the truth. You know, you got to love this. The truth. The truth is a euphemism in the Jehovah's Witness group. It is a term that is used to describe their group. When they're talking amongst themselves, they won't say they're Jehovah's Witnesses. They will say they are in the truth. This is a term that is used by a number of different groups out there that I've heard. Mormons, Roman Catholics, Scientologists, a whole bunch of them use that term, the truth when talking about their group. So if they've redefined what the truth is, then they've redefined what lying is.
In this book, Insight on the Scripture, many of you have heard me talk about it before, Insight on the Scripture, Volume 2, put together by the Jehovah's Leadership, is written like an encyclopedia or a dictionary. Letter L, you'll find the word lie, and it says, lie, the opposite of truth, lying generally involves not telling the truth to one who is entitled to know the truth. It says, although malicious lying is definitely condemned in the Bible, that doesn't mean that one is under obligation to divulge truthful information to those that are not entitled to it. So if they consider you as someone who's not entitled to know the truth, then they feel it's perfectly fine to lie to your face. That's what they're taught to do. This includes judges, police officers, private investigators, doctors, people at the door, and as I tell Jehovah's Witnesses, when they wrote that, they wrote that thinking about you. It gives them permission to lie to you because they don't believe that you are entitled to know the truth. That's why they forbid you to go on the internet and they forbid you to read any book that will cause you to question what they teach you. They tell you you have the truth. Just don't investigate it. That's all. Just take our word for it. You got the truth. Just don't do any research to find out if you really do. That should cause you to question right from the very start. If it's the truth, shouldn't it be able to stand up to any scrutiny? I don't back down. Somebody want to attack my King James Bible? Bring it on, baby. Bring it on. I can defend this. It's the truth. It tells it like it is. Let me take a little sidetrack real quick. I put together another video series called Answering the Atheist. I recommend you guys watch it. I think it's three videos. It will build your faith in the Word of God. It will build your faith. It's not just for atheists. It's for Christians like me. It's for Christians to help build your faith that what this book says happened, happened. That this book is not some book of fairy tales and nursery rhymes. It is the history of man written from beginning to end. Tells us what happened back there and it tells us what's going to happen ahead of us. Check out the Answering the Atheist video series I put together. Please, it's, it's worth it. The next word is the kingdom. The kingdom is one of those selling points that they use to lure people in. They promise people that if they join their group that their God is going to grant them this beautiful kingdom on earth where there's going to be peace and happiness and safety and there's no more death and there's no more sickness and there's no more pain and no more war and it all sounds really good except there's one catch. One catch. And that's the next word. And the last word. In order for them to have their kingdom, everybody else on earth has to die. The last word is Armageddon. The Watchtower Society is a doomsday cult. Why do I say that? Because the entire religion revolves around doomsday, Armageddon. But not the Bible version of Armageddon. The Bible version of Armageddon and the Watchtower version of Armageddon are two completely different things. Do you know the word Armageddon appears only one time in the Bible? Once. In the verse that it appears, it doesn't say Armageddon is a battle. It says Armageddon is the Hebrew name 
for a place. That's all it says. They were gathered together to a place, a place, in the Hebrew tongue called Armageddon. And then it goes on to the next thing. But the leaders of the Jehovah's Witnesses are not concerned with Bible context. They're only concerned with trigger words. Words that will cause a reaction within the Jehovah's Witness. The word Jehovah is a trigger word within the group. When the Jehovah's Witness hears the word Jehovah, they automatically think God and the organization. Because they feel one can't work without the other. Apostate is a trigger word. If somebody is labeled as an apostate, they automatically know. Can't talk to that person. Nope. Mm Got to avoid that person. Nope. It's a trigger word designed to make you react a certain way. Armageddon is a trigger word designed to put you in fear. The Bible didn't say Armageddon was a battle. It said Armageddon is the Hebrew name for a place. Let me give you a little education. The King James Bible is a very precise translation. In this King James Bible, you find this thing in another place as well concerning something being called one thing in one language and something else in a different language, but it's the same thing. When it talks about the king of the bottomless pit, it says his name in the Hebrew is Abaddon, but in the Greek, Apollyon. Now, Apollyon doesn't sound like Abaddon, but it's letting you know that whatever this being is, in one culture it has one name, but when it gets into this culture, it'll change its name, but it's still the same being. The thing that it has in common is the definition of the word. So the Bible is letting you know if you run into a culture that has a lowercase g God whose name means destroyer, that's the being. The king of the bottomless pit. Abaddon and Apollyon, from what I understand, they both mean destroyer. So the Bible's letting you know, in this culture, they use this word. But in this culture, they use this word for the same being. So what is it telling us when the King James Bible says, this place in the Hebrew tongue is called Armageddon? It means, in other languages, it's not called Armageddon. It's only called Armageddon in Hebrew. And it says it's a place, not an event. The leadership of the Jehovah's Witnesses took the word Armageddon, turned it into a trigger word, by taking that word Armageddon and linking it together with other verses from the Bible that talks about battles. And they've put their people in fear of an Armageddon that they keep saying it's right around the corner, 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 and it never comes. The reason why it never came is because the Bible never said it was an event. It said it's a place. That's why it never comes. You need to get yourself a King James Bible and get rid of the fear. My King James Bible tells me my God has not given me a spirit of fear. That's why I can look the watchtower in the eye and say, bring it! I am fed up with what they're doing to people. I'm not intimidated by you or your money or your your elders. Nobody. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm not intimidated by you. 
my King James Bible, the Bible's called the sword. Superheroes, after all this time, many superheroes still use the sword. And guess what? Jesus superheroes, <laughs> they still use the sword. It never fails. It gets it done, brother. It gets it done. Armageddon. They put you in fear over something the Bible never said. But if you don't understand the Watchtower's version of Armageddon, you're not going to understand the motivator behind Jehovah's Witnesses. They operate in fear. They operate through fear of this Armageddon. Why are they out there going door to door? Because they're scared Armageddon is going to break out any second. And they're going to be caught not doing something for the organization. That's why. Why do they allow themselves to die refusing blood transfusions? Because they're told that if they get a blood transfusion, you're going to die at Armageddon. It always comes back to Armageddon. It's doomsday. But that's not what the Bible says it is. They can keep telling you it's right around the corner, it's right around the corner, it's right around the corner, it's right around the corner. No, it's not. It's just a place that people are going to be gathered together to in the last days. That's what the Bible tells you. It's just a place. It's not an event. You can choose not to believe me. I hope you'll believe this King James Bible. And get rid of the fear that gives you the nightmares. Get rid of the fear. If your religion puts you in fear, what did that 10-year-old girl say? What did that elder tell that 10-year-old girl? He talked to her about fear. What fear she has. The fear she has. The fear she has. My God has not given me a spirit of fear. They've got the wrong God. And the wrong spirit. And I'm trying to reach out to those of you who joined Jehovah's Witnesses thinking that you joined a Christian religion. It's not Christian. They're filling you with a spirit of fear. And that is not the God of this King James Bible. We are dealing with an organization that's in big trouble. They're keeping their people in fear to try to control them. And it's about time the chains come off. It's about time the chains come off. And you know what? It might take the women to rise up and break the chains. It just may take the women to rise up and break the chains. When the YouTuber One Bun went into that kingdom hall and lifted her voice, she broke a glass ceiling because she did something that women are not allowed to do. I got a feeling more women, I'm hoping, will come to the Jesus Christ of this King James Bible, the one that doesn't fill you with fear, and will do what needs to be done to this Watchtower organization. You ladies, you got the power to do it. There's a lot of ladies within that group that has been hurt, violated, used, abused, 
you can sue them out of existence. There's so much evidence now being built up against the Watchtower organization. They barely have a leg to stand on. They're just limping around. Or as one of the governing body members says, they're roving about. Yeah, they're roving about, all right. What they're doing to the women has really ticked me off. Let me ask you, Jehovah's Witness. Are you safe? Are you safe in your kingdom hall? I'm talking about the crimes of the Watchtower Society today. Are you safe in your kingdom hall? You think you are. They put you behind those gates. Close you up in the building. I hear some of these buildings don't have windows. You feel safe? Let's see how safe you are there. Many criminals have learned it when they want to run from the law. Just join the Jehovah Witnesses. It's the last place that the law is going to think of looking. Because they have this squeaky clean image. But as I mentioned earlier, that squeaky clean image comes with a high price tag because when there is a crime that takes place within the group the elders are told to dummy up keep your mouth shut don't call the police contact the watchtower legal department they have a very special division there it's the sweep it under the rug division and boy are they working hard that Watchtower Legal Department has that sweet, sweep it under the rug division. That no matter what the crime is, you send it to them, it just goes away. You wonder why they don't want law enforcement looking into them for the slightest little thing. They don't want you to call the police. Here's why. The leadership is fully aware that there are criminals that have taken safe harbor within the Watchtower organization. Murderers, thieves, rapists, molesters, they know they're there. They're not going to remove them. And the reason why they're not going to remove them is because there's so many of them there. If they began to remove them, their squeaky clean image is going to be destroyed because the police are going to realize, wait a minute, these people we've been looking for have been hiding out in the watchtower? We need to investigate the watchtower to see if some of these other criminals we're looking for are there. They know it's like an onion. You peel back one layer and there's another layer. You peel back that layer and there's another layer. If they start researching and investigating this, they're going to find that. If they start reinvestigating this and that, they're going to find this. So the best thing for them to do in their mind is keep all the crimes in-house. Just call the legal department. They'll take care of it for you. They don't want the police to get involved. 
I think it's time for the police to get involved. Because I'm about to reveal something to you that's been going on inside the group for over 40 years. I'm going to get to it in just a moment. Murderers in your kingdom hall, Jehovah's Witness. Did you know it? Your elder knows it. You see, your elder's a company man. Don't be fooled by the smile on his face, okay? Don't be fooled by the smile on his face. He's a company man. He realizes that outside the group, he's a nothing. But inside the group, he is elder so-and-so. He has lots of power inside the group. He can tell people what to do, and they got to obey him. He had the power to kick somebody out. And because they believe this Armageddon doomsday scenario, it puts them in such amazing fear. A lot of these elders, it goes right to their head and they just love it. They love it. In Florida, 1992, a man who commits several murders decides he's going to hide from the law. He's not going to turn himself in. He's going to hide from the law. And how is he going to hide from the law? He's going to go and join the Jehovah's Witnesses. He's going to hide amongst the Jehovah's Witnesses. He goes to the Kingdom Hall. He accepts their Bible study. He studies his watchtower and his wakes. He comes to all the meetings. He goes door to door. Nobody knows this man is a mass murderer. Yet. He waits till he gets baptized. You see, once you're baptized in the group, now you're an official member. Once he's baptized into the group, then he goes to the elder and tells the elder about the murders that he did and other crimes that he did. Now this elder got quite disturbed. A murderer's been in his kingdom hall mingling among the women and the children? What's he going to do? What would you do? How many of you say, call the police? Do they call the police on pedophiles? Did they call the police on this man? Who did he call? He didn't call Ghostbusters. Who did he call? The Watchtower Legal Department. That's right. That's who he called. The governing body. Wrote to him. They wrote him back. He was so surprised by the response, it made it to the internet and into the hands of a nickel and dimer like me. So let's go ahead and read what the governing body had to say concerning a mass murderer in your kingdom hall. This elder wanted to know, what should I do? There's a man here, he's confessed to committing several murders and other crimes. What should I do? Let's see what it says here. We received your letter of December 17th in which you inquire about handling a situation of involving a brother who has been guilty of serious violations of the law in the past. You explain, you explain that you have received information indicating that this brother committed several murders and crimes before his baptism. You asked if Florida law obligates some action on our part. Florida law enforcement authorities have no knowledge of this matter. 
As elders, you have no obligation to reveal information of this type to the authorities. Any information that you have obtained while fulfilling your duties as elders is strictly confidential. What he does about paying his debt to society is largely up to him and his conscience. Since he is apparently a fugitive from the law, he obviously would not qualify for any extra privileges of service in the congregation. They acknowledge that he is a murderer. They acknowledge that he is a fugitive running from the law. And they say, there's no need to call the authorities. Just don't give him any privilege. Don't let him hold that microphone. Are you safe in your kingdom hall? Are you really safe in your kingdom hall? You state that you have one report of his smoking marijuana with his co-workers, which may have been uh, after his baptism. We assume that this is the reason that you feel the need to meet with him. Uh, not that he murdered people. No, no, no. He went 420. You know, murdering people, you know, eh. but 420? Nah, we're going to talk to you about a little 420, brother. D does something seem upside down to you? I'm done. I think you get it. When I first saw this, I wondered, is this real or is this fake? I mean, could they really be that blatant that they love their reputation so much that even if a mass murderer gets baptized into the group, they're not going to report this man to the police? They're going to let this man associate with the congregation, the women and the children, going door to door and into people's homes. I said, is this real? Am I being played? I called up Kim from Kim and Mike. I said, Kim, are you familiar with this letter? She said, yeah, Jason, it's real. I said, okay, but I got to go deeper because I can't put this in the video unless I can nail this thing down. Because if it's not true, I don't want to report it. I want all my videos to be honest and upfront. And then I ran into the silver bullet. It was sitting right there all the time. A court case in which a Jehovah's Witness elder is on the stand under oath. It doesn't get any better than this. The attorney asked him directly, if a member of your congregation commits murder, would you call the police or not? Can't beat that. Under oath testimony. Let's see what the elder said. We'll do everything we can to support it. If uh, a different crime, to take the most extreme murder, if you were told that a member of the congregation had killed someone else, would you report that to the police? 
we would we would encourage the person to do that. Would you would you do it yourself? No, I I, I would try very hard not to. Uh, not that I would try very hard not to, but I would encourage the person continually to do that. That's a decision that they need to make. Well, what if the person wasn't prepared to go to the police, but they told you that they saw the killing happen? What would you do? Are you? Am I being asked on the present day circumstances? Yeah. Yes, I would. I would take the the action of ringing the branch and getting some legal advice on that. Do you have any knowledge? Which, you're living in Queensland, aren't you? Yes. Do you have any knowledge of the law or legal obligations to report knowledge of crimes at all? Not, not really. No. You heard him. You heard him. He would not call the police. He would not call the police. Even for murder. Are you safe in your kingdom hall? Are you really? You see, your elder knows who the murderers are, the molesters are, the thieves, the robbers, the abusers of women, the men who beat up their wives. The elder knows but he's been told by the leadership to dummy up and not tell anybody if he wants to keep his position as elder. He'd better shut his mouth and be a company boy or you're going to lose your position and get kicked out. And the saddest part about it is there's too many elders out there that care more about the power than they do about the people. I'm talking to you if you're an elder. I hope that hit home. You need to evaluate yourself. If you're an elder, I'm talking to you directly now. I don't hate you. I don't want you to mistake anger and passion. I'm frustrated with what the leadership is doing. I'm frustrated with what they're doing to these people. And they're using you, elder, as their enforcers. You know about the secret books. You know about the secret letters. You know about the criminals. And I'm about to deal with the main topic in just a few moments. You know about these things. Why are you staying quiet? Why? Why? Because you know if you blow the whistle, you lose your power. But guess what? We're all going to die one day. And your status of elder don't mean jack to Jesus. Let that, let that ring home with you. Let, let that like a little bell just sort of ring in your ears. He's not impressed by your status of elder. And you can't say that you did all these things for him. Because he may have been talking about you when he said, Many shall come in that day saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? Did we not do all these things in thy name? And what's Jesus going to say? Depart from me. I never knew you. From the God who knows all things. It's going to look at you and say, I never knew you. What do you mean you did it for me? 
I never told you to do that. What do you mean you did it in my name? I never, you did it in the name of some, some Jehovah. You wouldn't even acknowledge me. As a matter of fact, there was a guy who got on the platform in one of your kingdom halls. Let's put the video on the screen here. He's invited to get up and speak. Instead of preaching Watchtower, he decided, I'm going to tell the people what the Bible says. And he told these people, Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Through Jesus Christ, you can enter into the throne room of God boldly. You don't need an organization to get you to God. You don't need a governing body to get you to God. You go through Jesus Christ because he's the one that died to make you worthy to get to God. What did they do to the man? They cut off his microphone. Take a look. They cut his microphone off. He still tried to continue with his message. An elder comes up, whispers in his ear, and removes him from the stage. What did that man do? If you listen to the crowd's reaction when he's taken off the stage, you can hear a groan. Because they're wondering, wait a minute, what's wrong? This may have been the first time they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ preached from that platform. And what happened? Those of you who saw the whole video, what happened when the man left the stage? One of the elders got up on that platform and said, I'm sorry, but that was a poor interpretation. The guy just quoted the Bible. And that elder said, that's a poor interpretation. Really? It reminded me of the story that Jesus told about the seeds. That the seed is cast on the various different kinds of ground. And it said, immediately Satan comes and takes the seed. The elders didn't want them to get that seed. So when that man was preaching Jesus, they couldn't allow that name of Jesus to be preached there. So they take him off the stage. Satan comes, grabs that seed and says, I'm sorry, that was a bad interpretation. Let me just take the seed and go on out to the back door. And those people who were wide open for an altar call just had the door slammed by an elder who took all that that man said from the Bible and wiped it all out with one sentence. I'm sorry, that was a poor interpretation. And you think you're going to stand before God on Judgment Day and he's going to let you in the kingdom when you do that to a preacher of the Bible? He wasn't preaching Watchtower. He wasn't preaching Watchtower. He was preaching Bible. And you kicked him out. Kicked him off the stage. And he was invited to speak. I want you to think about it, Elder. I want you to think about it well. <sighs> Guys, I'm telling you, this is, uh, this is rough. Destruction of documents is another crime that the Watchtower is known for doing. Destruction of documents. I want to play for you just a couple of things here. Another elder under oath. When the authorities asked for the Watchtower Society to turn over their documents about the children in the Watchtower organization that had been raped and molested, the Watchtower had the files. They kept the files. The elders kept the files. 
But once the government of England said, we want to get those files so that we can review them, all of a sudden, an edict was sent out to the elders. And I'm going to let you listen to the BBC as they tell you what the Jehovah's Witness leadership did to those documents. When they were ordered to turn those documents in, what did they do? Take a listen. When the New Zealand judge Lowell Goddard was appointed as the chair of the independent, the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse last year, she sent a letter to the leaders of 18 religious institutions in the UK, instructing them to preserve any documents or notes that could assist her investigation. There are claims this weekend from lawyers and survivors of abuse that the Jehovah's Witness organization ordered the destruction of material that would be relevant to the Goddard inquiry. John Viney was a Jehovah's Witness for over 50 years. He also served as an elder, a pastoral leader within the movement. And he believes that what happened in the case of his daughter Karen may be typical of this organization's response to child sexual abuse allegations within its ranks. She was abused by a Jehovah's Witness elder who also was a relation. This was over 20 years ago and it has taken the best part of 20 years to get justice for her and so the abuser at the moment is currently serving 14 years imprisonment. Rather than receiving support from the organisation, John says the elders shunned both him and his family. We received no help from Jehovah's Witnesses and I think this was perhaps the start of my own downfall within Jehovah's Witnesses is when I saw what I thought was a loving, supportive organisation, I experienced something completely different from that. I saw people running away and I saw my daughter and my own family being treated as troublemakers because this thing has been raised. And that's led me really to look at other situations because I have thought, well, surely, you know, the way we were treated, the way my daughter was treated, is that a one-off? And sadly, I find that that is just not the case. Um, and I even hate to say it, but I would say it that right now, I think Jehovah's Witnesses have an epidemic of child abuse within their midst. In Karen's case, did they cooperate with the police with the investigation in any significant way? The quick answer is no. I have met up um, just this week with the investigating officer um, over another matter. And um, he reminded me of just how uncooperative they were by saying, first of all, they wouldn't give statements. They would not provide any evidence. They would not give over any documents or said that they didn't have documents, which it makes the relevance of this Goddard inquiry even more important. If the Jehovah's Witnesses have no documents to provide in cases like John's daughter Karen, where are those documents? Sunday has obtained a copy of an order sent to every Jehovah's Witness congregation in the country. It's called the 2015 Checklist for Audit of Files. But this communication from the headquarters of the movement is more than a checklist. It's an instruction to destroy the kinds of documents the Goddard inquiry is after. Kathleen Hallisey is a senior associate with the law firm AO Advocates. Last year, she represented a victim of sexual abuse in the UK's first ever civil case brought against the Jehovah's Witnesses. 
the directives come from the U.S. where the headquarters are located. And that's an audit and a destruction of various types of documents that would have been retained by the elders in the congregation. And therefore, any documents in relation to an allegation of child abuse that would be contained within elders' notes would have been destroyed per the direction of this audit checklist. I think that the documents that the elders in that checklist have been instructed to destroy are, in fact, documents that are highly relevant to the Goddard Inquiry and are, in fact, documents that should not have been destroyed. My fear is that it's too late. I've been with the organization all of my life. I was uh, raised as a third generation uh, Jehovah's Witness, so I didn't really know anything other than that. And then I became an elder at uh, age of 27. In 2002, Ross Blackman left the Jehovah's Witnesses disillusioned by the direction the movement was taking. He's now a minister in the Church of Scotland. But while he was a Jehovah's Witness elder, he served as Congregational Secretary, and one of his tasks, he says, was to supervise the destruction of notes made by elders taking part in a judicial committee, a kind of Congregational Court, where serious disciplinary matters, including child abuse allegations, were investigated. A determination would have been come to by the, the three elders that were involved in the case, and they would have filled in a form, if I recall rightly, I think it was the, the S77 form, they had the numbers for them all, so the S77 form would have been filled in with details on who had been in the committee, who was being disfellowshipped, for example, and a, a very terse reason for why that might have been. That form would have been sent up to the headquarters uh, for being processed there. And at that stage, any of the notes that had been made, the personal notes that had been made by the elders on that judicial case would certainly have been destroyed. And a reminder would be given to that effect on a fairly regular basis, either at the, the elders' meetings or certainly when the, the travelling overseer who would come every six months came around, they would be reminding people to destroy these personal notes that they might have made. And ostensibly the, the Data Protection Act was, was invoked with regards to that. That was certainly the reason we were given for that at the time, I seem to recall. But the reality was there was quite a bit of incriminating information within the files. Not only for the person involved, but for the whole congregation, it would have repercussions that would flow through. And the matter was reported to you because you were in a position of responsibility? Yes. Did you take any notes? No, I didn't. Um, can you help I us? I may have done at the time, I'm sorry, but... Um, you may have done. I may have. But Where are they, they now? They would have been destroyed. Why? Um, we don't like to have any notes outside of what's kept on file in the congregation. Why don't you like to have notes of a serious allegation? There, there are brief notes kept in the file, but all other notes are, are destroyed. Why is that? Uh, I, I, I guess it's because we don't want them to fall into the wrong hands of other people to find them and, and they go through them. What are the wrong hands? Um, well, we don't want our wives knowing what our stuff, um, what sort of things we're dealing with. We don't want other people in the congregation coming across that information. So you want to keep it secret to the elders, is that what it amounts to? I don't know about secret, but um, we want to try and limit the amount of people that have to have a look at that information, yes. And why is it that you want to limit the people who will have access to the information? Just to protect them, I guess. We don't, as protect, protect who? Protect the person that's 
uh, involved in it and the rest of the congregation so that they don't have to know these um, I don't know, it's just it's the protocol that we've had in so we'll just follow that information. And would you do the same thing today if someone came and reported to you a serious allegation of sexual assault? Would you destroy any notes? Yes, that's our practice. Um, and what about telling other authorities? Are you aware of your obligations if someone tells you of a serious allegation of sexual assault? We, if, if we have any hesitation, we contact the branch for advice on how we should proceed legally and scripturally. Um, we don't attend or we don't report it to the police, I think we encourage them to do that, but we give them the assistance to do that if they need that. How do you encourage people to report to the police? My understanding is a little bit unclear because I've never had to do it, so I'm, I'm not fully aware on the process, but um, if, if it did come to me, I would be just saying you know, this is a matter that you need to talk to the police about or the legal authorities and, and pursue it that way. The thing that gets me, even after all this, how are they able to get away with this without going to jail? Are they somehow above the law? Why is it that these crimes can be done and nobody goes to jail? I don't get it. And for all of those things that have happened, they're bad enough. Murderers in the congregation, thieves and all that in the congregation, that's bad. That's really bad. The way the women are treated, that's really, really bad. But there's one that I haven't seen anybody do a video about that I'm about to bring out here and now. Really don't know what I feel. My thoughts and emotions are.